Welcome to the Stay the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. And our very special returning guest is Dave Collum. I think the eagle has landed. Fucking hey. Um, can you see me or is this total audio? It's, it's uh, audio, audio for us, Dave. I mean, you're welcome to do video, but we, we just do audio for the sake of um, uh, memory purposes. Band- bandwidth, yeah. Okay. Uh, no ba- bandwidth purposes. So what you're saying is you can't remember how to do video. I I, I, I can't even remember my own name. As I was saying to as I was saying to Paul earlier, um what what I am what what we Brits would call three sheets to the wind. And Oh yeah, and, I know that phrase. And Paul was Paul was generously That was a, that why. was a reference to being shit faced. Yeah, that's one way of putting it. And um and Paul was sort of generously saying why and and out of desperation I'm clinging to the excuse that it's a is a tribute to Gonzo journalism in the style of P, the late PJ O'Rourke. That's exactly right. Can you and hear me okay? Yeah, we can hear you fine. I can hear you fine. How about perfect, you, Perfect, perfect. So okay, that, that, that's... Headphones on. The good news is it means I can walk around and take pisses and cups and stuff like that. You can channel your inner uh, Howard Hughes, a milk bottle full of urine. Yeah, I know. I do that, by the way. With it, this is all. I, 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 this I, is all staying in. This is all staying in. This I hit record, so you know. It's, oh, that's fine. That's fine. I don't if, care. Be careful. Be careful what you wish for, or be careful what you pish for. Yeah, I know. I'm fine. You can you can broadcast that, right? Yeah. Should I say on a daily basis is way worse than that. <laughs> Great stuff. Well, welcome back to the show, Dave. It's great to have you on. It's my, it's my pleasure, you know. Nothing like hanging out with a couple of limeys for an hour or so. <laughs> yes, indeed. So how's your year been? It was actually a year ago that you were on, or just, just over. Uh, I think that's right. Um, my year's been pretty good. Um, and what a uh, year it's been. Oh, fucked up. You're not, you're not sending this out to elementary schools, are you? Um, now, that is a brilliant idea. That is an absolutely brilliant idea. We could send... Uh, uninvited copies to all the junior schools throughout Great Britain and, and the rest yeah, of the world and, and see what see what hack happens. It. <laughs> hack it. Hack it. Just <laughs> hack into their PA system. <laughs> uh, it's been a fucked up year and I worry that it's not just uh, I worry it's not transitory. Right, because that, that's the that's what we're thinking you know, That's I guess this is what one might hope at this stage that we're nearer the end um, than the beginning of something. And uh, I don't think so. You don't yeah, think so? Not a bit. And w- so, what makes you think that? Well, so. Um, well, firstly, firstly, we need to define what it is. Yeah, I know. I'm fucked up. Um, it is, in my opinion, on several fronts. One is I think it's a rising global totalitarianism, which I think is potentially unstoppable. I'm watching the Canadian truckers. They they should have been able to win that one pretty quickly, in my opinion. And um, the fact that they are refusing, the authorities are refusing to give them even the slightest win tells me there's something dark and sinister going on. Well, well, that would suggest to me that this is a this is this is do or die moment for Justin Ladyboy Trudeau. 
that if he backs down and, he's and the globalists and the yeah globalists. yeah so so basically if he backs down he's going to have to chew on a suicide on, on a cyanide pill yeah i'll send it to him if he wants um i think we'll we'll have no shortage of volunteers offering to send yeah. to send it to him I just read an article this morning, which is probably wrong, but they said that they were going to euthanize the dogs of the truckers as they arrested them. That seems fair. Yeah, after, after no, the dogs. It's after eight days? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you start euthanizing dogs, you are going to die. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's a death wish. That's a death wish. Yeah. Um, if you were, did, we already, did we not already have something similar that actually took place in Australia where they refused to let uh, rescue dogs travel across yes. uh, county or border lines and they euthanize all of them as well. We are so far into clown world now. It, it, it stopped being funny about you know 18 months ago. So that's the problem. So as you know, I like to write about human folly and I like to tweet about human folly. And the problem is it's gone from human folly to just this wretched human existence sort of crap. And so, so uh, this year was a brutal write-up for me because I, I, I literally, after I wrote the thing, usually I send it out to about 200 people, which would include you guys, and, and I didn't send it to anyone. I was in a deep depression. I, I, I was in such a deep funk. And then the other day, I got an email from David Einhorn saying, you know, I'm, I'm taking offense. I, I, you usually send it to me, and I'm sorry I'm on your shit list. I, and I, so I called him. I said, no, David, uh, I sent it to no one. You would have gotten the first one. But I just I just kind of uploaded it and went into a hole. But these, it, these, it Wall, Street pe these Wall Street people are such prima donnas because Einhorn can afford to pay top dollar for this stuff, as, 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 you know, as, as can we. Uh, he's and been I, a good friend, though. He's been a very good friend. So, um, so but I, was, I was struck because um, I'm looking I'm looking at part two as we speak and I'm thinking this must be your longest your longest uh, annual yeah. review ever. I'm thinking I think so. It keeps getting on. I have to reinvent it because I can't do that again uh, for some practical reasons some some psychological reasons. And it, it took too much out of me. It really did. Um, it's about it's kind of a fluffy 300 pages. But is, is the experience of, of writing this not cathartic in any sense? Well, it is in a sense, but it, it, it left me so dark that I'm not sure I catharticized it. <laughs> I, think, I think it uh, cathartic would be to ignore it. Um, yeah. and, and so it's a real problem. And I've, I've come to the conclusion that we're really in a world of trouble and that we're, we're not even close to the exit of this problem. I think we're, we're at the the doorway entering there's there's a line i came across recently you may have heard it before um i forget the the author but i forget many things these days and it it, it was something like it would not surprise me if if this planet is some other planet's hell <laughs> i've heard that i've heard something i've heard a variant of that and uh but and, this uh, is the year uh, the, these are these are the times when these kind of quotes really like like strike a chord well, you and I are both quote junkies. I don't know if Paul has quite the quote junkiness, but I remember when we were in Vegas together and, and I, I praised you for your quotes. And you said, yeah, one's good, 18's better. Um, and, uh, I, was, I was anticipating tran transitory quote inflation. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Hyperinflation. Hyper so... Um, so I don't I don't know what I'm going to do this year, but um, this this last calendar year has been I think wretched and awful, and things like the Great Reset, which it 
one level looks clownish and then another level looks like a global communist state. And one level, so one it, level looks like genocide. Oh, or, or, that's right. Um, and, and, you know, I was, I'm listening to Peter Schweitzer's book, uh, Red Handed, and I, I realized I should have put a fun book in between Kennedy's book, which I just finished, and Schweitzer's book. I should have put something in the middle there just to lighten up. And, uh, how, how easy was it to finish? Because we, 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 uh, we haven't broadcast it yet, but the last guest we had on was Chris McIntosh his New Zealand-based hedge fund manager, and he recommended the Kennedy, the real Dr. Fauci, or the real Anthony Fauci book. And I, I, I've downloaded it to Kindle, but I couldn't get past, I think, chapter two without the deeply felt desire to vomit. Um, well, that's the so problem. Difficult I did the audio book. I did the audio book so that it just keeps playing against your will Yeah. while you're in the car. Um, he he the, dry the, heaving. Yeah, and... So if you go to Amazon, you'll see a small handful of ones yeah. in their ratings. And those are clearly people who never touched it. Yeah. And um, if you go to the fours, you'll see people who say uh, it was unbelievably bad, but I hate the way he hates Trump. And therefore they gave him a four, you know, there's stupid stuff like that. But Weird. the fours are really fives. Yeah. And even with that, it's a 4.8 star rating with yeah. 11 thousand ratings so so for me this book was the most transformational book i've ever read wow. i've never had a book get into my skull and rattle around this badly and and i'm left with one of two conclusions either kennedy is a pathological liar and is about to be sued into oblivion because he names names cites people cites references cites sources and therefore if he's making this shit up then he's toast and i have yet to see a single article take him to task and or fauci is a mass murderer oh. on the scale of mao yeah or fauci is okay. basically a dead man walking and hopefully he'll get butchered to death in the street by an angry mob who knows how this may play out this is a family show so that's right so so but fauci the things he did for the last 35 years are i, I could not have imagined so i knew how much i hated him when i started the book because i'd already written a ton on him and i was flabbergasted by it so so kennedy really brought it home there will be no book to follow kennedy's that you know the me too books right everyone wants to oh, i'll write about fauci now right they will pale in comparison to Kennedy's. Kennedy, because Kennedy's been bird dog and Fauci for 30 years. And so Kennedy knows where all the bodies are buried and has been collecting this information nonstop. And so, so, but it'll transform your worldview because you will, you will never trust the biomedical community again. Well, this is, this is one thing I, I don't know about your thoughts, Paul, but one thing I've uh, deeply felt concerned about is, is after this, uh, if the dust ever settles from this rolling debacle, no one is going to trust any aspect of our administration ever again, not least the NHS or the health services. And, and so here's an example. Someone told me this. I said, can, I've consulted for all the players, for Merck and for Pfizer, and I've various shorter term things um, for almost every major pharma. I've done collaborations with Sanofi Aventis and with uh, with uh, Genentech and and so I, I thought I knew the inside of this world, but the world I was seeing was the organic chemistry world. 
And so I didn't pick up any of this. I, there was just not a hint. And the world that's twisted and sick turns out to be the clinical medicine world where the clinical trials are getting done. And that seems to be where the corruption and the rot got so deep and so problematic. So, but one time one guy in one of the companies said to me, he said, here's the deal. We know that high blood pressure correlates with heart attacks. We know that statins lower blood pressure. What no one has ever shown is that statins reduce heart attacks. And, and the problem is once you show that you can reduce blood pressure and you get cleared by the FDA, you have no incentive to follow up and say, oh, by the way, do they work? Because you're making billions of dollars a year. Now, I don't even know if that's really true. I'm just relaying a story I was told by a guy inside one of the big caps. And, um, and, uh, but if that's true, I, I think a lot of the drugs we're taking are potentially a lot of placebo flavor to them. Mm. I think they passed the FDA. Now, here's how Fauci corrupted the FDA. So Fauci took over the sleepy NIAID group, which is infectious diseases, and it was going nowhere. And then the AIDS problem showed up. Fauci, once AIDS was hung on HIV, then Fauci got all the money. So all of a sudden he built this empire. Now, here's the problem. The first he did was he used AZT. AZT is a ruthless drug. AZT just clips DNA randomly or terminates or something. I can't remember the details. It has, it's not a smart drug at all. It's not selective. It just goes in and beats the crap out of DNA. So it's a bit like so, either chemotherapy or radiotherapy. It's fairly brutal. But it's worse because chemo, oh, it's very brutal, but it, it's less selective. Mm. And so, uh, so it's just brutal. It's just worthless. And so what happened was, is he pumped the AZT story through the pipeline. And then, and, and they fabricated the clinical trials. They didn't just bias them, they fabricated them. And so then, as the story goes along, what happens is, uh, Fauci, and you can imagine how easy this was done. You're going to see a bond rating agency analogy here in a second. Mm. Fauci convinces the world that since we are doing all these things for pharma, that we should um, charge them. For the cost, right? Why should the taxpayer pick up this tab? So next thing you know, and I remember when this started to happen, like if I developed something in at Cornell, I could apply for a patent and I could share some of the royalties and Cornell could share some of the royalties. My department would share some of the royalties and IH would share some of the royalties. Everyone, everyone got a cut. So that didn't used to be the case. Walter Gilbert left Harvard because he wanted to start Genentech and they said, no, those days are over. So what happens is now FDA gets about, uh, uh, excuse me, NIAID gets about half of its budget from pharma. So by, by convincing us that pharma should pay the bill for all these clinical trials, allowed pharma to buy it. Now, enter the bond rating agencies. Okay, so companies pay to get their bonds rated. Shock of shocks, the bonds get a good rating. I am so surprised, right? right. So now what happens is, is that Pfizer and Merck and these companies outsource their clinical trials to small companies. Now, these are companies that are like, you know, if, if, if something goes wrong, you roll them up, you call it a day, and you start a new one, right? These, these are things that are like, they're like, you know, grifter tents. And so, uh, so you 
Pfizer puts out a contract at, you know, abcclinicaltrials.com, and they do the clinical trial. Now, are they going to give Pfizer bad numbers knowing that they'll never get another contract? No. So they make sure the numbers are good. And if they do something horribly wrong, they get wrapped up and they, a new one starts. Can they communicate am- amongst themselves? Can, can you talk well, to an- another company that's doing a, a clinical trial? Uh, can they or, or are they legally supposed to? It's right. two different questions. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So, they clearly, so they clearly, again, according to the evidence I have, they clearly are faking the shit out of everything. So they are communicating. I, I, it, it, the narrative changed recently. Remember when all of a sudden we went from, oh, now the masks don't work and now the vaccine isn't quite working and it's got some safety issues and this and, and that. And suddenly it became the vaccine's giving everybody AIDS. Right. And, and, and it happened very quickly. Well, I think when that happened was when the judge ruled that a FOIA request, which requests the data for, so, so 30 virologists requested the data for the Pfizer vaccine trials. And FDA went to court and said, can we wait until 2076? Because you, you, don't, want to, you don't want to rush stuff. It's only the biggest. Yeah, uh, yeah 108 days to clear it and, and 55 years to and release the, and it. The biggest you know, uh, experimental gene therapy program in human history. So what happens is the judge says no. And next thing you know, the narrative changed very quickly. So I think what happens is that, holy shit, this shit's coming out. We have to change our narrative. We have to pretend like we understood all along and that you guys understood all along that there were problems. How did how did the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation miss that judge, do you think? I don't know. It's a, Maybe he lost a parent or something, right? <laughs> who knows, right? Uh, so, so Gates, for those who don't quite get your joke, um, Gates' foundation basically owns, not completely, but bribes them enough that no one can afford to give up the money money payments. All the media, all the major scientific journals that publish this biomedical crap, and all the virologists, all the epidemiologists in the world, such that they're all so connected to Gates that they can't break from the narrative. So if this and, if this story did got sorry. clobbered. So if this story is going to come out, or the data is going to come out soon, then surely that would be that would be like the big breaking story that would would put an end yeah. to all of this, right? Yeah, like a Hunter's laptop. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is this is the problem. the The knowledge that that basically coronavirus was funded. Sorry, the supposedly novel coronavirus was funded by Anthony Fauci, channeled through Peter Daszak through the EcoHealth Alliance and ending up illegally illegally funded by U.S. taxpayers, ending up in the Wuhan lab. This was published a year ago in New York magazine. This is all of the stuff we're talking about is has already been published. But it's like that's right. It's, it's a bit like if the mainstream media refuses to report it, does it make a sound? Well, so just recently, Fox News had a whole series on the lab leak. I'm going, dudes, we knew this a year ago. And I knew it back in 2000, February 2020. So I was sending off emails to 
to biochemists saying, look, you know, I think this sucker came from a lab. And they were saying, I don't think so. And, and I'm going, why do you say that, right? And it turns out when I finally confronted one after it became clear, it came from a lab a year later, he said, I think I just got faked out by the propaganda. He said, I think I bought into the fact that these 25 elite or 17 elite by Rao just all said it's not man-made. He said, I just believed them. I think what's going to happen here, Dave, is that people are going to say, what does this financial analyst, Dave Collum, know about chemistry? Yeah, how weird is it that I'm going? <laughs> by the way, I was, a I was a genetics major as an undergrad, but I don't remember any. So someone should, someone should not use that as evidence that I know what I'm talking about. That's key. So... Um, so this is an awful story. And then you look at the truckers and Trudeau and you look at Australia and the neo-Nazis running around down there. Um, and then you look at uh, you look at the forced vaccination. And, you know, for me, for me, the cathartic moment. So all through 2020, my opinion, Fauci eroded. It rotted like a fish. And uh but when they released the vaccine, I thought, OK, so at least we're going to get a vaccine out of this. This will put an end to the story. And Trump's out of office so they can quit lying about hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. Right. Um, and none of that stopped. And then uh, and then what happens is a week into the vaccine release in the United States, the FDA started pushing it to pregnant women. Now, there's not a sane person in the world who thinks that's a smart move. Now, if they had said, look, here's the deal, it's unstudied, it's got risks, but so does getting coronavirus as a pregnant woman, you should talk to your doctor and think about this. I would be okay with that. But they didn't say that. They said, we see no reason why you should not. And then they said, you could talk to your doctor, but there's no reason to. And I'm going, holy shit, you guys are psychopathic mass murderers. I ha so I'm going to jump. Crazy. I'm going to jump straight, straight, straight to the end point here. Do you think people are going to hang for this, Dave? No. Just because I don't think people hang for anything. Do you think people should hang for it? Oh yes. Oh my God, yes. Hundreds, hundreds, thousands, even. You know. So what do you do? Here's one. What do you do with a person who's head of the National Pediatric Society? Or the National, uh, you know, Gynecological Society, right? There's a stinker of a job, and uh, and they stand up in April of 2020, for which the first what we'll call Corona babies haven't been born. They're not due till October, November ish, and says the vaccine's completely safe. That's pathological lying. You want to reach out to me? If that's you, I'm, I'm talking to you. You can explain to me how four months into the trials, four months into the release, you can tell me a vaccine safe for pregnant women. How you know this? Because there is no way to know this. There and is that, no way to know this. I guarantee you, I will bet my entire life savings. There is no way to know this because there's so goddamn many things that can happen between now and, you know, for all you know, you're going to find that your kids have leukemia. You're going to find who knows what you're going to discover. And the, and the real tragedy is that some of those kids never get born. And it turns out someone faked a, 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 someone faked a study and it got torn to shreds. 
in which they claimed that there was no measurable difference in unvaccinated and vaccinated pregnant women in terms of the probability of delivery. They completely, completely rigged the thing, and you can see it in plain sight, and it got torn up. And then it got fact-checked. Oh, yeah, I feel better now. Um, since when do fact-checkers fact-check scientific papers? Um, and so, uh, so there's all these twisted plot lines that tell you this is not about healthcare. It had nothing to do with healthcare. The fact that if you've had coronavirus already, you're much better off than the people who have not by any metric. The fact that that does not get you off the hook of the vaccine tells you that some psychopathic neo-Nazis have a different agenda for you. I, I have nothing but hatred for these bastards, nothing but pure hatred. Have you at any point over the last two years, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry if this, this is going to sound like a, a strange or personal question. It's not meant to be. And you can, I expect you, you, none have to, less from you, Tim. None you don't, you, and you don't have to feel remotely obliged to answer. Have, have you felt um, more spiritually or spiritualistically inclined as a result of the, 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 the social trauma of the last two years? Because uh, I'll, I'll, I'll fess up and say I, I definitely have. I mean, spiritually, like more sort of um asking questions of a uh, a nature that one previously would not have asked questions oh oh so. sure sure you know what's this all about but they yeah. still tend to be sort of political i can't say they get to spiritual uh here's a, a phenomenon that i notice i try to explain it to my wife um as i walk around and i look at people in masks i feel like i'm in the movie invasion of the body snatchers and everything superficially looks normal, mm. but there's just something wrong. Something slightly off. Something off where you're going, I, the Stepford Wives, right? These mm. sci-fi movies where they're possessed and they, they act normal, but you go, but something's wrong, right? And I see students walking across the campus, 18-year-old kids walking across the campus wearing a mask. And I'm going, why would an 18-year-old not say, fuck that? Yeah. I, mean, I, I don't get it. So here, here, in, the, here in England, um, all, well, most of the restrictions uh, have, have now been lifted. And we're hopefully going to be at a stage very soon where they're all going to be completely lifted. Given that the Omicron variant has sort of done its thing, um, I'm hoping, I'm very surprised at obviously what's going on in the rest of the world. And I'm also equally surprised that we're actually um, much freer here than, than I expected to be, given what else is going on in the world. But I'm hoping, and maybe this is some false hope, and it's, it, you know, it may, may be completely misplaced, but I'm hoping that we're we are at the end of it or I can't see what they're going to do now to sort of reverse the steps that are going into effect here. And as the numbers fall globally, it's going to be increasingly difficult to keep this narrative going, especially with new information that's coming in and spreading and, and people finding out that, um, you know, the Omicron variant was relatively, um, you know, uh, benign to, to most people Which obviously we not to knew from the very first day yeah yeah there was some very well informed south people. africans came out and said look we got a new variant here but it seems to be very mild yeah and so so 
So here's the problem. So after two years of wearing rags on our faces, of which, uh, as I described it, it's, you know, my mask is like I pull a chia pet out of my pocket that smells like a Frito. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and the CEO of Pfizer, he totally boned an interview, and he did a bunch after that to try to smother the Internet with other interviews that you'd find that weren't done so badly. Said, uh, said I can almost quote him, said, you know, the, 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 the vaccines don't work very well. And then the part I remember vividly is he said, if at all. And then he said, but the booster will help. And I'm going, you liar. Um, and then Walensky comes out and says that, uh, or Lena Wen, Lena Wen, there's a chick I'd like to send back to mainland China. Um, Lena Wen comes out and says that the masks have been facial decoration. They, they, they do no good. These cloth masks do no good. We knew this. Every, anyone who studied what had been done in the past knew this. Yet we had to wear them. And there was no, there was no one out there saying, look, dudes, okay, wear a mask, but it's got to be a good one. Well, but the I, joke's on you guys, because I paid up specially so I could wear Kylie Minogue's used underwear over my face for the last you know? <laughs> 18 months. And, and the thing is, the, 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 the narrative has already changed, because I was walking to work this morning and the police closed uh primrose hill and regent's park because of safety because there was a slightly strong wind blowing so the narrative has already shifted to climate change bollocks effortlessly from coronavirus bollocks so we're already in this clown world dystopian the narrative is whatever the authorities want it to be um it, it, I, it where do you start on this. So, oh, so, 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 so this the problem I have is that, 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 so they tell us the rags over our faces did no good. The vaccines did no good after two years. And, and my colleagues are saying, oh, well, then I got to get a better mask and get a booster. And I'm sitting there going, I got to get a fucking gun. I, I just don't understand how that could not send you into orbit, just complete orbit. And, and so we are as passive and as pathetically lethargic and as pathetically tolerant as they were hoping. But it, aren't people expecting that we're at the end of it now? And so therefore, no, no? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think, I think this is just a chapter. This is like you're at the end of the chapter. And okay, here's chapter number 11 coming up, right? <laughs> so, so, so a new variant, do you think? There'll be something like no, that? I, no, I think, I think they're going to let that one rest for a while. I, I think if they came up with a new variant, they would not get cooperation at this point. I think there would be a problem. Well, that's, I, that's, so I, they, sus I suspect the way this ends is that Justin Trudeau gets bludgeoned bloodily to death in the street. Jacinda Ardern gets bludgeoned bloodily to death in the street. Emmanuel Macron, Boris Johnson and every other WEF-compromised political stooge has the same fate. I don't advocate violence, but I don't see how this is going to end in any other way. Well, so this is how I like to do it, too. I always like to say, I don't know why so-and-so didn't beat them to death, which is my way of avoiding saying, I want to beat them to death. Mm. Um, and, and so it's possible. It's certainly possible. Here's the thing from the financial perspective, which I actually tweeted out, I think, last night, but I've been pondering it. Um, every, I think the markets are 60, 65% over historical fair value. I've done my homework. I can prove it. It might not be right, but I sure as hell can make the case better than anyone can make the case to the contrary. And if we have a bad 
bad secular bear of the kind that we haven't had in a very long time, I would argue 40 years actually, um, then we're going to go well below fair value. Mathematically, you have to spend some time down there, I'm told. And, um, and so we could get an 80% correction. We have never exited a bubble under conditions that were anything but just society being euphoric, right? So the mm. dot-com bubble, we're all euphoric. And, and the, the, the nifty 50 bubble of the, the late 60s, we were euphoric. And, and everyone's euphoric. And we're going to exit this bubble pissed off. Yeah, blimey. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Well, about, da, da, Davos Man, Davos Man owns everything, but I suspect even Davos Man isn't that happy. So the point, though, the critical thing is we are going into, and I think it has started. We are going in because I that you know before I, I wouldn't have said this because you know JPO pulls out his checkbook and writes checks and 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 Carney writes checks and all these guys write checks, but the inflation problem now has them boxed in. Yeah. So I think this correction is now one they're going to have to step to the side and say, well, we're going to let this one run by and try to clean up the mess later. But this one's not going to be easy. But I, th I think Jay Powell is, is Jack Torrance at the Overlook Hotel and he's getting his checkbook out and the barman says, your money's no good here, Mr. Mr. Powell. In That's other words, exactly right. In other words, the, you know, the Fed is going to throw a party and no one's going to turn up. Right. So it might not work is what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's possible too. But it's also so. I was on a panel discussion at a at a meeting with Jimmy Iorio, uh, Bookfar, uh, uh, um, uh, Grant Williams, and uh, who was the fourth? Well, me. Um, and we were talking about Fed policy and stuff, and they kept saying the Fed will have to do this and this. And this I, I said, look, guys, I don't think we have a clue what the Fed has to do. I know what. Feds of the past would have done based on what we know what they did, but we don't know what this Fed's going to do. And so they could let inflation shoot to forty. They, they we just don't know. And and I just know that we're at the point now where people say, "Well, how do we get out of this?" And I said, "I'll tell you what you do. You put your affairs in order. This is stage four cancer mm. financially." Yeah, so the mar the markets that have been, or the stocks that have been driving the bull market, especially in the US, which has been at the leading edge of the the, the global bull market, um, has been the technology stocks. And at the moment, those are the ones that are falling the fastest and looking looking the most perilous. Yeah, they're shooting the generals, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and by the way, gold's done well. Here's the interesting question. So we're watching the truckers and we're hearing about how they're going to cut off payments, which includes cutting off Bitcoin payments and stuff like that. And we're watching we're watching thefts of Bitcoin. And then the FBI recovers it. And if you're a Bitcoiner, you're going, oh, great, fantastic. And I'm sitting there going, you know, if you guys are 100 percent correct about your view of Bitcoin, they can't recover it. Right, it's supposed to not be recoverable. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't just you can't just tap in and take it with it without having access to the right. the keys. It's like right. basically being able to right. So somehow the FBI gets it back, and so that tells me the FBI can get to Bitcoin, which I, I, you know, I am sympathetic to the holders. I'm a no coiner. I don't own any. Um, but but um, 
I could imagine this being like a screen pass in football where where the, the, you know, the crypto guys are charging in not realizing it's a trap. Well, to be fair, we had, um, uh, we've had a few people talking about cryptocurrencies and Manu Chowdhury came on a podcast who was talking about exactly that point and saying for people who, who are looking for any type of security, it's not what you're going to find with bitcoin it's not that's not what it does it's it's the new technologies the the coins like i think monero those are the ones where it's not possible to to potentially i mean look i i don't know i don't i don't know to that level of of understanding about these coins but from what from what i know monero's blockchain is private as well as the keys are private um whereas with Bitcoin, it's pseudo private. So in other words, you can see all the transactions. But if, if I know that your account is one, two, three, four, and I say that's Dave Collins account, then I can see everything that you're doing. So I know your activity. And if I know someone else's account, then I'll know that you're sending money to somebody else. So I know I can see what's going on, even if I don't actually know, you know, it, you have to make that connection in the outside world. Um, but you well, can't. The other thing is that that if the sovereign state says, look, we're going to throw you in jail, confiscate your assets if you get caught using Bitcoin, I don't care how secret it is, you're going to think twice about it. Well, you know, as you say that, that was, you know, I was looking at Bitcoin in 2010 and people talk about how early they were when they were looking at it in sort of 2017, 2018. Um, And so I started mining it. I tried to mine it and then I just got bored and turned my computer off and it for some reason, I didn't mine any, um, but uh, I worked out it would be worth about 144 million. So I'm not really that bothered about it. But but anyway, um, you know, it it was that for that reason right at the beginning that I thought, well, look, this can't take off because the governments are just going to step in. It's it's actually I came to the conclusion that the technology would potentially be too good, and therefore the governments would stop it, and then. You know, over time, I, I saw the the um, technologies and the new coins being created, and, and the whole space sort of develop in a way um, that I that completely changed my mind. But that has always been in the back of my mind about if the government say, "Look, if you hold this stuff, like if you hold gold, we will confiscate it and it, you know it make it illegal." They have the power. But the the issue there, Paul, is that, that there's a presumption that government can all, always equate to the the current pace of technology, and I don't think that's ever been the case. No, that's absolutely true. Yeah, but for example, if you go to buy a car, and Bitcoin or whatever it is, we'll call it crypto, has been outlawed, can the car dealership sell you the car? Yeah, I mean, th- this is this is it, it's such an interesting point, and. I just don't know how it would work. I mean, I'm more worried about the the provenance of some Bitcoin. So say some gets used in a, an illegal transaction and then it gets sent to you and then you use it and you buy something with it. Can they then go back and say, hang on a minute, that whole transaction's invalid because we know in, in law... Because it was stolen, right. Yeah. Cause, right. Cause you you don't, are in possession of stolen goods. Yeah. There's a concept. Because in, in, in law, you, you don't, you know, you, ne- you never have title to stolen property, even if you, right. you're taking it in good faith. So, 
So I don't know how that would work. I, had, I hadn't even thought about that. That's an interesting point. So I worry that Bitcoin, you know, the first paper on cryptocurrency was written by three NSA guys. Really? Right. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if that's true, but I, I read that somewhere. It was on the Internet, so it must be. Um, <laughs> and and I worry that the, that the crypto markets of today are basically nefarious bastards using the free market of ideas to develop the technology for them. Right. right, develop the acclimation for them. So everyone gets really used to it. And they say, okay, now here's Fedcoin, right? Finally. And you, we've known for years they wanted us to, to go to digital currency. All the wanker e economists who are tied to the to Fed. Tautology, to Claxon. Yeah. And, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. They, uh, they, uh, and, and so, so then the question is, is this not just a trap to, to get people acclimated to digital currency. Yeah. Cause people said the same thing about Facebook. And I did wonder, cause right at the beginning, it, I mean, if you really wanted to sort of track people's lives and, and get an amazing amount of private data from people, what better way than to create a social network and let them just put it all up there themselves rather than them asking. Well, so for the CIA is all over as an angel investor into all these digital all Silicon Valley companies. And, and even if they're not, so let's say Facebook starts organically and becomes big. You're Zuckerberg. The CIA knocks on your door and says, here's the deal. This is what you're going to do for us. You're going to piss them off? Yeah, no, absolutely. Right? And so, yeah. so now I'm, the, the book Red Handed by Peter Schweitzer talks about how much Silicon Valley is selling its soul to China. And, and how, how, oh my God, it's just an awful story. Now, it's not, it's not quite as sort of engrossing as Kennedy's book, but it's, it's still a nasty story. And, and the guys, they want the Chinese market. They want it. So what, what Dave, so what are they doing then? They, how they say, because surely that's the last thing they should be doing. I mean, obviously that's the last thing they should should well, be doing, but strategically. That, that, that's assuming they give a fuck about sovereign states. They don't. So if you're Facebook or Google or, or, or Microsoft or whatever, United States versus you know England versus Germany, they don't care about that. For them, so it's a little like the idea that, you know, for many years said U.S. in no way, shape, or form supports democracy. So when we look across the pond and we see England, we see some approximation of a democracy. We tolerate it. But if we have the opportunity, we would rather have a dictator in charge because we can control one dictator way better than, than the, the ugly, gruesome voting masses of the populace. So we never install democracies, ever. Yeah. We tolerate the ones that existed but if we get a chance, we're putting a we're putting in a, a thug. We've done it every time. So the crypto guys, not the crypto guys, Silicon Valley guys are the same way. They don't like democracies because they can't go in and do their thing if the democracy gets to vote on it. They'd rather deal with Xi Jinping. 
But someone in America has got to have a problem with that. Surely, surely they've got to step in and stop it because if they've well, got someone if, in Russia should have had a problem with the Soviet Union for seventy years, right? Yeah, but you know, from from what we what you read about how much tax they pay and how much they manage to sort of um, avoid using schemes, etc. Perhaps they're not contributing to the public purse as much as they should be, but yet there's yet there there's you seem to have this dual system where on the one hand you've got crony capitalism and on, on the other hand they're not even acting in America's interest, which doesn't doesn't really make well, I mean it doesn't make sense. To the first point, well, only, so only the, little people pay taxes to begin with. Right. Federal Reserve doesn't work for the United States, right? Federal Reserve is, is nominally appointed by the president, who gets told who to put there. These guys are in charge of overseeing multinational banks. So right away, it's no longer about borders. And I think you'd be hard-pressed to make the case that if, for the sake of the multinational banking system, they had to throw the United States under the bus. They throw the United States under the bus because they don't work for us. It's just like, you know, J.P. Morgan's domiciled in the United States. Are they really a U.S. bank? Yeah, there's definitely a global identity problem when it comes to companies now. Am I, getting, am I getting through to you, Mr. Beale? You get up on your little 21-inch screen and howl about America and democracy. There is no America. There is no democracy. There is only IBM and ITT and AT&T and DuPont, Dow, Union, Carbide, and Exxon. Those are the nations of the world today. I think that's correct. So there's a book, by another book I recommend people read called the key word in the book title is technocracy. It's always got more. There's always more. I don't know why. Why, they, why can't they just call it technocracy? By a guy named Patrick Wood. And he talks about this idea that the technocracy is where technology is used to run the world. And it has its history in the 1930s when we're in the Great Depression. We had all this technology and the capitalists had screwed the pooch, right? And at least we're perceived to, but those weren't really capitalists either. Um, and so the Trotskyites were battling the capitalists. It was a pretty credible fight. I have this theory that Roosevelt, who was hated by the right-wingers for being sort of borderline commie, was more of an insider than most people like to give him credit, and that his realization was that if we don't give serious concessions to the forgotten man, we're going to lose. And so he put in all his New Deal shit. And that caused people to calm the hell down and to tolerate the pain and to let the capitalists sort of take off into the future again. And it went quiet. Now we're into the digital world, supercomputers, AI, blah, blah, blah. What a shock. People want to run the world with technology again. And this is, this is the Great Reset. Again, I hate calling it that because that's like a bumper sticker. It has no content. But it's a shorthand for global communism, I think. And, uh, and, and they're doing it now. They're doing it again. They want to run the world the way China runs China. And you know, you know when, they, when they cut off Gab's financial, financial uh, access because they were a free speech platform, 
How is that not authoritarianism? I didn't know they'd done that. That's um, yeah, mm, yeah. Wow. And, and and we've got Canada cutting off the the bank accounts of the truckers and the yeah. supporters of the truckers. That's Here's one for you. I read this morning. Probably not true. I'll state that right up front. But I read an article that said they were going to euthanize the dogs of the truckers. Yeah. As they arrested them, I'm thinking, you euthanize my dog, I'm going to kill you. Have they not seen John Wick? Uh, I, I don't know. But, but they... Is and the, then the, the question is, would people do it? Now, American truckers are heading across the country uh, real soon. To your point about um, Roosevelt, there's a, a quote, I, I assume this is genuine. I, I probably need to check, but it's, it's one I came, came upon couple of years ago, um, someone said, if the New Deal is a success, a friend said, you'll be remembered as the greatest American president. If it failed, if it fails, I'll be remembered as the last one, Roosevelt replied. So there you go. That, exactly. Exactly. I didn't know that. Oh, man, you are the quote man. I, I bow <laughs> in your presence. Um, that was great. Um, yes. So he realized he had to save save the country by bending way over so so sorry go ahead yeah no 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 carry on sorry i i didn't realize you were about to say something no i i won't stop talking unless you interrupt no it's <laughs> it's great it's, it's great um you know what it's like though when you're over uh, you know, one of these platforms, you just get a, such a slight delay and you accidentally interrupt. And I hate doing that. But I, I was going to ask. Sorry, about, to, sorry to interrupt, Paul. <laughs> no, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So the next, what do you think will happen then in terms of if the agenda is the Great Reset, what what signs can we be looking out for on the horizon of things that they might be trying to do? Um, I think it's already here now. So I, I think someone who's waiting for a sign that authoritarianism is coming is, is they got to look up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, but you, what, what the, the incidents What's that we're seeing, yeah, because we're, we're seeing the incident, we're seeing these incidents blow up, but, you know, ultimately they can't, they can't be sustained. So things have to calm down. Okay. Then the vaccines element, it's like, well, they can't keep saying you've got to get, you know, vaccinates well they could i suppose but for as long you know, as there are any of us left alive they can they they could but then the argument gets a little bit weaker each time because you know the numbers fall <laughs> and etc so so where 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 would be the next what would be the next thing i mean i guess international travel where they just keep the restrictions and you have to you know potentially keep the vaccine passports and then it could be your other medical records or something like that. I, I'm thinking, I'm wondering whether that's going to be, you know, how they, they, right. Cause you remember the, the situation with the shoe bomber ages ago. Yeah. Right. So I was thinking we about the other day. Well, I was thinking, we the, well, well, actually the effect of that, if you remember, people used to bring their own drink onto the planes and because of that, that's why you can't take any liquids on the planes anymore. And, yeah. And I, it always struck me as being strange that you couldn't take liquid because obviously you could have some explosive device in, in, in another form. So, you know, but from then on, 
that's the policy. And it, I can understand it, of course, but it's, it's also, you know, it was that one incident. So it's that one incident that change, changes everything and everybody just says, okay, let's do it. Well, then there's the question, though, whether it's sort of an overreaction to one response or a premeditated reaction to just an opportunity saying, oh, okay, we, we can work with this. And so if, if their goal is to really hurt us run like sheep, which it's one of these things where I'm going, who wants that job, right? I, I don't, I've never quite, I've never understood why the king of England or the king of Spain or the king of whatever, um, Germania, um, why they want more kingdom. It just, right, what kind of crazy bastard is a million square miles not enough? Um, Hitler? And it's it's power, right? It's it's Jeff Bezos, it's these guys. And so um, what's coming next is the question. Uh, I think they're going to lighten up on the vaccine because they've worn out their welcome. I'll tell you what bothers me about the trucker story. Justin Trudeau's a wanker, right? We know that. Um, but he is doubling down. And it tells me, therefore, this trucker battle is a way, way bigger problem than just a vaccine mandate. It's a mess. They can't. Someone way high up, and it's not Justin, someone way high up is saying, we can't give them the win no matter what. Period. Right. And, so, 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 and so, so my theory is the countries around the world are folding. So if they don't have to do this, because they don't want to have to have a big global showdown, but Canada, now that they're in it, has to win it. And there's no reason to. Justin Trudeau, if it was a rational one, could stand up and say, okay, guys, here's the deal. I think you ought to wear masks. I think you ought to get vaccinated. But uh, we're getting the message. We think there's risk for canceling these mandates. They the back, people have spoken. They backed down in the UK over NHS workers getting the vaccine. Because basically... Right. There's always the risk, though, that this is two steps forward, one step back, one step That's forward, right. two steps back. So it's all yeah. a psyop like the original the original problem. That's right. Well, I think That's they did right. the right thing. I think they did the right thing in, in, in saying that because all that happens, it's like you get the brain drain. All you, all you needed was Wales or Scotland to say, well, look, we don't care. And then you've suddenly got everybody, you know, going to those jurisdictions so, or, or, or elsewhere. So, and then you create the problem of not having enough staff. But, but with, the, with the truckers, I don't see how they can't see that they are becoming so intensely unpopular by their actions. You know, and it, it's just drawing oh, so. Because, because, no, 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 no like, not the truckers at all. The politicians, I think this, like I think who? Right. We're, because we're dealing with murderous psychopaths who don't recognize reality or um, ethics. That's the problem. Or, or they just can't afford to give up the win. This is a goal line stand. I completely yeah. admire everything that the truckers are doing. I think fucking good on Oh, my on God, you. yes. I mean, oh, my God, yes. I, every morning I search truckers on Twitter to see what's going on. Um, so I think it's possible that if they could replay the tape, they go, oh, we should have given in. Because then the victory was a Pyrrhic victory. Now it's not a Pyrrhic victory. Now the Canadian truckers can show the world that we are back in charge. 
And that's something the globalists do not want. Well, that's the world. The sound you hear is the world's smallest violin playing just for the new world order and the World Economic Forum and the world's globalists. So, you know, tough, tough shit. But let's say, um, you know, what what you were saying before about certain leaders being taken out of office. Bloodily <laughs> by the mob. In the street. <laughs> to put it mildly, surely they're just puppets anyway. Surely that they, they, their position just would be replaced by someone else. And it's oh, not- absolutely. It's what I call the Wizard of Oz model. The Wizard of Oz model is where you throw the water on the witch and she melts him and drops her weapons and sings. That's not how the world works. But it, but imagine how many people are going to be keen to replace the guy who just got bludgeoned to death bloodily in the street. That's not going to be a very popular job. No, no. But I meant like, you know, obviously normal voting out of like when when whenever the election is in Canada, you know, the reality is going to hit no matter what. And well, the other thing is, is there's never, there's not a shred of evidence that, that power vacuums have no volunteers to fill them, right? Yeah. So yeah, the, the, the best of the best is the 50 year period where 50 emperors in Rome died, right? The age mm. of emperors. And those guys just kept signing up to be emperor, even though it gave them a, a, an on average 12 month life expectancy. Well, that's just like the Roman, the ancient Roman equivalent of 50 minutes of fame, isn't it? 50 minutes of emperor. Yeah, exactly. That's right. That's right. You get laid a lot, you know, um, the 15 minutes, right? Yeah. It's like a, like a mayfly. Hey, dude, it's sounding good to me right now. Um, and so, so, you know, there's no, there's never ever been a power vacuum that someone didn't step right into and, and they'll step into it and say, Hey, I'm your friend. Right. Shavar, you know, uh, Che Guevara, you know, there's always people who are willing to, to the, the grifters who are saying, oh, boy, there's opportunity for me. So uh, the vacuums don't stay there long. Um, and then and then we're watching this Ukraine thing. And I we're real close to me being either right or wrong, but I don't think Russia is going to attack and I don't think they intend to attack. And then you've got this goofy situation where, I don't know if you saw this, but the U.S., he's not the press secretary, but he was operationally like the press secretary, making all these assertions about what Russia's going to do. And one of our journalists said, give us the evidence. And the guy said, well, I just gave it to you. He said, no, you just made assertions. And they went back and forth. And by the end, he says, you sound like Alex Jones. You're nuts. <laughs> and, and the guy couldn't give any evidence. And they were talking about the Russians doing this false flag crap and all this stuff. Then next what happens, articles start appearing that says the Ukrainian president started demanding that the U.S. provide the evidence that they're going to be attacked. And you go, holy shit, someone dropped acid in my coffee. And then <laughs> and then the Ruski starts saying, could you, I'm not kidding, could you send us the dates that we're supposed to attack? <laughs> <laughs> now, you know and I know, we all know. The savviest leader in this fucking world is Putin. He, he might have his problems, but when you watch Putin, he can whip his opponents uh, mercilessly with his tongue and his, 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 his genius. So when, when January 6th came, which I've written extensively about as a, you gotta be kidding, January 6th is a turning point in American history, but not for the reason people think, it's when we declared war against the populace. That's what January 6th was. And, uh, and Putin comes out and says, 
What I saw on January 6th is 450 people got arrested who showed up in Washington with political grievances. I'm going, oh, my God, that was good. Holy shit, that was good. <laughs> so I think Putin's an unbelievable leader. I don't doubt he's a mean bastard to kill her and everything else. So I'm, I'm not but then enamored. So Hillary Clinton. Yes. Then the other funny one, you see in this meme out there, which I think is true, of Justin Trudeau being the love child of Fidel Castro. <laughs> oh, well, his, 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 his mother was, let's say, uh, liberal of virtue. Right. And there's pictures of her. And I showed my wife one of the pictures. I said, is that normal? So here she is. Castro's cutting a cake or something. She's got her hand on his chest. And what and I, I think, can tell you I think you you'll is, find that there's also a penis in someone's vagina as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm not sure we have a photo of that one yet, though. Um, so, so I showed that to my wife, and I said, you know, if someone, some chick does that to me, I'm getting laid that night. Um, and, uh, and, and then Justin Trudeau looks like Castro when you look at younger pictures. And I've seen pictures of her, and she's enamored. She's sitting there looking at Castro like some... Like some teenage girl looking at her newest love. I mean, it's just holy moly. And so, you know, that's just funny, right? That's yeah. just funny. It has no meaning, but it's funny. Financial market stuff, Dave. How, uh, in, in a in a nutshell, how are you positioned for the storms to come? Uh, a lot of cash, a lot of gold. Um, I'm long real estate to the extent that um, I bought a new house about five or six years ago, six years ago, that is no bigger than the house I had, but it's a phenomenal improvement in quality of life. It's, a, mm. it's this all plate glass, hangs off a hundred foot cliff, looking west across Kegel Lake. It is an unbelievable quality of life that I never, I didn't think I cared where I lived. And then I saw this house, I go, holy shit, I can buy this. I did the math and said, okay, did you buy it off Iron Man? Iron Man. Who's Iron Man? Give me the Tony, Tony Tony Stark. Yeah. You know, because he's got oh, that cool superhero, because he's got a house, you know, on the top of a cliff. I mean, if this house were in San Diego, it would be a, a $30 million house. And uh, it was looking out over the ocean. And uh, I hope the IRS is not listening to this podcast. Well, it's I pay good taxes. And uh, <laughs> so what happened was is I said, okay, um, my cash is dead money. I did the math on how much taxes I would pay over the next 30 years. And I said, okay, it's going to track inflation or in the Thornburg group. And I said, okay, I'll tie up capital here. So it's about three times the cost of the house that I moved out of that was plenty big. And so, what, so that's going long real estate. What, what percentage, is it a percentage of the value of the house that you have to pay in tax? Yeah. And, and in New York state, it's a killer. Yeah. So New York State, it's approximately uh, between twenty-five and thirty. It's probably about thirty thousand dollars per million. Right. Fuck. So that's the math I did. I didn't care how much the house costs. I did the math on the taxes. Said, okay, the next thirty years, I'm going to pay approximately this much taxes. Am I okay with that? Emotionally, am I okay with that? And I said, sure. And so I bought it. So I, so I'm longer real. So that's why normally I wouldn't consider my house an investment, but when you pay three times more than normal, it's, it's something. It concentrates the mind very, very quickly. Uh, Dave, do, do you see the U S the, the state, uh, regime, the, the, the state 
constitution, the state composition of the U.S. holding, or do you see states attempting to secede from the Union? Because I, some of them are quite clearly know. failing in plain sight. I, you know, I don't know because I can't. That could just be posturing by politicians who want to get reelected. Yeah. So I don't know how seriously, I don't know what it would take. Last time someone tried that, we ended up killing half a million Americans. So I, it, that seems like a reach to me. Yeah. I, I, there are states I'd happily jettison. But there are, there are some states <laughs> that seem to be committing economic suicide relative to those that are trying to stay open in the face of all this nonsense. Yeah, only the lower 48. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, we appear to be doing a lot of self-destructive things anyways. Well, as, as Adam Smith said, there's a great deal of ruin in the nation. So uh, where are we going to be as a nation? Uh, I think the Great Reset might have unfortunately called it. We might not be the superpower. We might not be the reserve currency, right? There's, there could be some real fall from grace moments. Um, our, our debt to GDP has grown and grown and grown, and that's a very, you can't just print it. But I guess I guess the question then is, is, is it a managed decline or is it just like a kind of Suez moment a la Britain, whereby one minute you're the top dog and the next minute you're in the gutter? Well, I would view Britain as a managed decline. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so I think I think it's likely to be a fairly slow rot unless we end up in a thermonuclear war and then it's that it could change quickly. Yeah. Um, then when the missiles are flying, I don't know. It feels like we're just going to get worse and worse. Um, our students are going to get less and less competitive. We're going to lose our edge. Um, we've lived off, you know, the expansion from the East Coast to the West gave us a tremendous tailwind over the last two centuries. We still have a lot of resources and land per capita. Right. You guys could deforest Britain a lot faster than we deforest the United States, you know. Um, and, and, and so I'm still amazed when I drive through Connecticut how much wooded land there is in a state that was one of the colonies, right? Um, so I, I don't know. Um, but if we go authoritarian, then I think we're just going to suck so bad that that, that, yeah, we can destroy it. But I think it's going to be a rotting process. I don't see a cataclysmic process. Last, last question from me. Um, in, if the U.S. were to go to war with China effectively now, who wins? What kind of war? Uh, let's say non-nuclear but kinetic. Kinetic? So bullets and missiles, uh, but not, but not nukes. Nobody wins. <laughs> right? well, there's, there's no winners first. Yeah. Um, uh, they've got a pretty big standing army. I, I had a friend in the Pentagon a few years ago said it's not even close, but that was a few years ago. Um, we have the big problem where we have a lot of Chinese expats in the country, and that would give us a sort of the World War II 2.0 problem where where we'd be sitting going, wow, I don't trust that guy down the hall. You know, I, you know, if you lived in China and a war broke out your allegiances would be mixed. So to, to expect some guy who spent 30 years in, in China then moves to the United States, to expect him to be, you know, red, white, and blue flag waver, I, you know, some may, some I th won't. It's funny, I thought you were going to say something different, which is what China's view would be to the expats, but my, my take is that communist China doesn't give a fuck about anything. 
Right. And, and, but we will be worrying about, you know, who to trust. We'll be looking over our shoulders. And, Which is why you interned so many Japanese during the war. That's right. And no one likes that. And, and, and I get that. And, and, um, and so you can see both sides of that. And, and, and history right now is written in a way that said that served no purpose. But if those expats were running around for all we know, factories would be blowing up during the war, right? Who knows, right? Um, it's a, it's a counterfactual that you can't, you can't, you can't say what would have happened. But, but we will get pretty batshit crazy if we end up in a kinetic war with China. And, you know, so China first started sending students over on 81, somewhere in there. And I remember Cornell was chosen as one of something like six schools to get a first wad of chemistry students. They were hand-selected. And, you know, over the decades, students would come here and not go back. And I, I, as time went on, I started wondering, well, what's in this for China? And I don't think it takes a genius to after all these years say, well, I know what's in it for China. They have brought a piece of China to the United States. And I don't necessarily mean in a bad way, but culturally, we've got all these scholar programs and China owns a big chunk of Silicon Valley. China owns, I think China owns an unbelievable number of our politicians. And this, I would say the same of the UK government. Right. And, and so the, then the question is, would you have a kinetic war or would they just already own us? Yeah. A, a kinetic war would be pretty fucking bad. Because we got pretty good weapons, but they got a lot of bodies. And, mm. and whose side would Russia be on? And why are we pushing Russia towards China? Oh, that, why are we doing yeah, that? Yeah, that, that makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, unless you're China. Yeah. <laughs> right? So everything you hear about Russia could be, the storyline could be starting with China. Happily, we have a highly credible leader in the form of the President of the United States, so there's no, 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 no yeah, risk. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I hang on his every word, all three of them per second. <laughs> um, and, you know, you can argue that it's been a while since we had a president. You'd want to be the, have the guy in charge during a tough time. Um, I, I'm, re, I'm Trump tolerant. And I look at his policies, I actually think they were pretty good, despite his idiosyncrasies. Well, no foreign wars on his so watch. Right. And there was no foreign wars on Jimmy Carter's watch. And uh, Bush Sr., Bush Jr., of course, gets a big black eye. He totally boned his presidency, in my opinion. Um, and Bush Sr. looked clean, except for I think the Gulf War was a setup. I think the first Gulf War, I think we baited Saddam into going to Kuwait. And uh, there's some evidence of that. That's not just a suspicion. There's 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 some there's some leaked leaked exchanges where basically one of our diplomats said, if you go into Kuwait, it's not our problem. Mm. And then he went into Kuwait, and then it became our problem instantly. And we go, ah, got him. So we baited him to going into Kuwait. And um, these guys don't get it. They don't they don't understand. We are not we are not a loyal friend. I don't think we'll turn on Great Britain, but there's not many, not many others. So um, I'm not sure how, how much time you've got, Dave. Whether we uh, we, we might be we might be eating into your lunchtime though, and we can't. Have I have that. to I have to wrap by Sunday. Uh, <laughs> um, 
kids, because because uh, Timmy, you were saying last question. So I, I was. Yeah, I'm done. Okay, so I I just wanted to ask um, about the data that you have an analysis that you've done on the stock markets to show that they're overvalued. Because I remember one of your fantastic statistics about the number of companies in the S and P 500 that can't pay um, that their debts. And that was with interest rates so low. And we talked about this last year about how right. we right. thought interest rates were going up. And lo and behold, they're certainly in the long end, they're going up and they're going to be going up in the short end as well. So how's that affected the model that you've created? Well, that's gotten worse. So that number was 20%. And if you go back to the late 90s, um, with interest rates in the 9% zone, there's only 2% who couldn't pay the, pay the interest on their loans. So with interest rates, you know, 10 times higher, they, with interest rates now 10 times lower, the number of companies in trouble is 10 times higher. So that's just an extraordinary step. Now, I went through 25 valuation metrics, you know, Tobin's Q, price, price to earnings, you know, K-Show, price to earnings, price to sales, price to revenue, and there's just a gazillion of them. With one exception, which I don't quite understand the metrics, so I'm not bothered by it. They all put us at about 60, 65% overvalued. Not, excuse me, 120, uh, 130% overvalued, which means we're looking at a 60, 65% correction just to go back to fair value. The as you, as you already said, they tend to overshoot on the way down as well as on the they, way up. They have to, or the mean is not the mean, right? So that there has to be time spent below the mean. So uh, one of the things I noticed this year that I never noticed before is that in every single metric, that that they shot above fair value in 1994. So if you look at, I saw a ply yesterday, I put on Twitter where someone showed something. I said, look at that, it took off in 1994. Um, it turns out that same year, what happened in 1994, what made that a demarcation? Well, we bailed out the bond market. So I think the Fed put in 87 to the crash, planted the kernel of an idea, but I think bailing out the bond markets in 94 is when the Fed put really kicked into gear. It turns out since then, the corporate debt to GDP, which should normalize to a constant, is up 15-fold. And it tracks the markets. And so we basically have been on a pump and dump scheme since 1994, by my math. And, and so if you look at a chart and they don't give, take you all the way back to show you real historic valuations, if you can find the value of 1994, I can guarantee you that's the one you should be anchoring on right there. And, and so uh, 1994, all these metrics put us like a factor of three above the valuation metric, that same metric in 1994. And they all should normalize, right? Anytime you have a metric where it's the price relative to something that should track it, I mean, it should just wobble back and forth. And then I was talking to Einhorn, who's been so generous with his time to me the other day. He said, well, I don't, I don't think historical valuation metrics are necessarily any good anymore. And I said, okay, that also, however, means that historical returns are no good anymore either. And he said, yes. I said, therefore, people who think they're going to get a return of X percent over the next 30 years are not right. Because, because if, if you're buying shit that pays 2.5% return, not 5% return, then you're going to get 2.5%. 
right? If you, right. If you have to pay twice as much for the same return, you, you can't make money. And uh, Buffett, in his 1999 Fortune article, which I've read probably six times now, he points out something that gets misinterpreted. People think low rates are bullish. That's dead wrong. What Buffett says is dropping rates are bullish. So once they're low, you're screwed. You're completely mm. screwed because there's no more drop left. Yeah. He says bull and bear markets are all about dropping and rising rates, right? I, he, that's it. He said, and the second thing that everyone likes to not pay attention to in that article, he says, by the time you include all the taxes and fees and all the crap, you can't expect to make more than 4% annualized real dollars. Period. Right. And what are the assumptions being made these days? 15%? There's some. Yeah, if you go to the Fidelity website, they tell you that you need it uh, eight times your annual salary to retire. And that's only true if you're going to live about 10 years. But if you're going to live more than that, eight times your annual salary, you're going to gut it. It's you're going to you're going to chip away at that capital, that principal, so fast, and you're you're going to run out of money. I feel obligated at this point just to interpose the thing about fidelity, which I, I'm desperately trying to to prove is true, but otherwise it, it dwells in the realm of um, hypothetically true, which is uh, allegedly there was a. A study that Fidelity brokers in the States did of their clients, and they wanted to see who their most successful clients were. And yeah. you may have heard this one, and it turned out the most successful clients were dead. And then their second most successful clients were the clients that forgot they had a Fidelity brokerage account. Say <laughs> the second part, I missed the second part. Their second, their second most successful clients were the clients that forgot they had a Fidelity brokerage account. That's right. Was, so basically, the ones who are completely and utterly inactive. So, the, the, it, assuming there is some grain of truth, which I have to believe there is, otherwise it's just too comically wonderful to, to you know, to ignore. Um, there is there is method in, let's say, being studiously inactive during but here's one's investment the career. Here's the problem. So, again, I'm I'm sure at least one of you's heard me say this before, but um, I have a definition of a correction. A correction has to correct price significantly, which everyone would agree with. And it has to correct attitudes. So I, and then I asked the question rhetorically, when was the last correction? Mm. And a lot of people say, oh, March 2020. I go, not a chance. They corrected no attitudes. The attitude, you know, months later, you were fine. The, the message there was don't ever sell. Don't ever mm. sell, right? So there was no correction of attitude. So they go, oh, yeah, 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 right. Oh, 809. I go, did they really learn it then? Did that message come through? Did people say, hey, I am never buying equities again? I'm not. Was there ever any cathartic moment there? No. Non-retrofit. Oh, just hang on. So, so I think your model, that statement is correct for the last 40 years, which has been a bull market of mm. unimaginable proportion. The stocks and bonds. Yes, both. So we have a double bull market of unimaginable proportions. We went from a PE of seven to a PE of 35. We have a five-fold gain in valuation over that period. On top of a pretty decent economic time with no wars, right? Mm. And so, so then the question is, what's the next 40 going to bring? If the bond market turns south on us, if interest rates go up, all bets are off. So the last correction, as I define the correction, was 67 to 81. Mm. 
that's when at the end of that secular bear market where the markets nominally treaded water, but inflation adjusted lost 75% over 14 years. By 81, everyone swore off equities. Mm-hmm. No one wanted an equity. Ironically, the, 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 the death of equities on Money Week. On, that's uh, right. That's Newsweek. right. The ironic thing was, is in 81, a complete idiot with darts could throw darts at asset classes all over the globe. And the only way that guy lost money of his dart hit gold Mm. because gold had run. Mm. But every other asset class, you made money. I was long bonds for 10 years, made a ton. I was making 12% a year on average. How do you not like that? And then I went into equities after the 87 crash. It was all equities until 99. These are great runs. We haven't had a real correction, an attitude changing correction. You want the funniest goddamn stat of them all? I love the question, how long did it take for you to tread water for the last time, right? That's my favorite question. You, if you owned the market in 1906, inflation adjusted, you were even in 1981. Well, 1929 in nominal terms, you needed to wait until 1954 to get your money back. That's right. But in inflation-adjusted terms and due to all the sort of regressions back to price, you didn't get back to the same price for the last time until 81 again. Mm. It's only and years. From, that's right. That's painful. And here's the one for you. From the South Seas bubble. You broke even in 1974. <laughs> <laughs> Is that great? You know great. why? I'll tell you why. Because stocks, until fairly recently, their gains were all in dividends. Mm. Capital gains were not considered particularly relevant. And so, so when a company was a revenue-producing machine, it paid their owners dividends. Dividends? What's that, granddad? Yeah, right. So one of the reasons the equity market's gone up over the last 50 years is because we've gone from 4% to 2% dividends. Half of our returns are dividends, half are capital gains. But in the old days, it was all dividends. There's a guy named Ed McQuarrie. It's actually in my write-up. Ed McQuarrie from UC Irvine uh, wrote a big, long paper talking about Bonds versus stocks. And he, he goes at an issue that's bugged me for years. And that is, why would stocks return more than bonds? No one can give me a coherent answer for that. Why would stocks return more than bonds? And, and the answer he goes, well, because they're a risk asset. And I go, well, therefore, tell me about this risk thing that you seem to want to ignore. Because if, if stocks return more than bonds for 20 or 30 years, then you get the fuck beat out of you. You just gave up the game, didn't you? And it turns out that for the last 200 years, stocks and bonds tied each other, except except during the post-war horrible bond, bond market in the United States, post-World War II, mm. where financial repression was used to keep the rates down, which means, therefore, the, stock, the bond market didn't function. And that's where all the gains in stocks came from, relative to bonds. Because they stuff the, the savers. What are they doing now? They're stuffing the savers. Is that a similar question to what's the difference between growth and value stocks? Same thing. Identical. 
So if someone says, I want growth, not value, I want value. It, one said, I want a slow-growing company that's dependable. And the other said, I want fast-growing companies that will occasionally drive a truck over me. Right. And, and, but, but a free market, a real free market would arbitrage those differences away. Right? If I could promise you that you'd make more money owning Bitcoin, owning Ethereum than Bitcoin, you'd own Ethereum. Right? And so, so as the market prices prices the risk and reward in, it has this way of saying, okay, I'm going to make more and lose more, right? It just, and once in a while you get lucky, guys, smart guys like Buffett can spot the in inefficiencies and grab the shit that really is cheap. But on average, the market, if it's functioning as a market, is going to keep arbitraging away these imbalances with lag periods and things like that. But yeah, if, if I could promise you stocks always return more than bonds, why wouldn't you just own 100% stocks? Right. And but, but they don't. That's the problem. They don't. So if the market does, as you may expect, and, and goes down by a significant amount, is there a sector that you'd be looking to deploy your capital in, or would you have to wait to see what the market looks like at that time? Well, it's both. Um, I've been chatting occasionally with Felder, and there are sectors that really do look cheap. Now, the problem is if you chat with Hussman, he'll tell you yes, and they will get cheaper. So th there really is two sides to every debate. Uh, the sectors that look cheap to me really are the inflation hedgers. Mm. So last year, while writing, um, in the middle of the fall, Exxon got kicked out of the Dow, and I said, okay, they got replaced with Salesforce.com. Now, here's the story about Salesforce I didn't know until two days ago. It's a CIA operation. That's why they got put in the Dow. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so it's like, holy shit, this is just getting weird by the day, right? But Salesforce.com was a highly speculative, lousy company. And people say, well, but they needed the cloud. And I go, how about Google, right? Where's Google? If you go for the cloud, what are you doing, right? And uh, But they replaced Exxon with Salesforce.com. So I said, okay, that's, that's telling me I should buy Exxon. Um, and then Felder points out one day, says that the energy was uh, uh, seven or eight years ago was 16% of the S&P, and it's now 2%. I go, that's a buy. So here we have the most important sector of them all, the energy sector, getting no love whatsoever. So I've been buying some energy and uh, I've been buying precious metals. So I used to hate gold miners because they always seem to talk about all the gold they have in the ground. And I, like I said, I live on a lake. So what am I, a fishery? What does that mean, right? And uh, I said, I want a company that knows how to make money. And in the last bull market of, of gold, the, 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 the gold mining companies had not a clue how to make any money. And so I said, I don't want anything to do with these guys. They're charlatans. They stink. But they've discovered, that, financial, they've discovered financial discipline since then. That's right. So I'm listening to Fred Hickey in a podcast. He starts talking about their cheap. I go, oh, yeah, here comes this optionality shit again. And then, uh, and then he starts quoting some numbers. I go, holy shit. So I start looking them up, like Kirkland Lake and companies like that. I go, holy shit. Cash on the balance sheet, net cash, you know, dividends, 
real cash flow. And I'm going, Jesus, these are tobacco stocks now. The, it gets even oh. better. It gets even better. Sorry to, to cut in, Dave. It gets even better because just uh, you alluded to this already, but just at the time in your in history when you want inflation protection, the market, the stock market is giving it away. That's exactly right. So the between equities, I even have a boutique, um, um, a boutique uh, uh, a materials, energy, uranium investing group. Two guys who do it, um, and I have a, I have a. a I have a, a small, a lot of these are token quantities because I don't have the guts. I don't do, a, 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 I don't do, you know, what, uh, what's his face? Who's that guy? Come on, come on, Dave, old man. Um, what, Michael Barry? Uh, no, the 30% the, the, uh, a year for 30 year guy. Um, um, Lynch, Peter Lynch. No. Um, no. Um, Renaissance? No. Um, Jim no, Simons. No. No, I'll, I'll get it. He's, he'll, it's so stupid, I can't think of him. It's old age. In any event. Tudor Jones? Um, Druck, 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 oh, Druckenmiller. Stanley Druckenmiller. Right. But for every Druckenmiller, there's a thousand columns that got ran over. And so, so, uh, so I don't believe I can do that. So I just inch my way in my energy position, which I made a ton of money on during the knots. Uh, I, I averaged in over years. Um, and... Uh, and so I am buying energy. It could go down. I could get hurt. Uh, you want to see cheap? You have to see unstupid, believably cheap. Check, check out the platinum miners. The platinum miners, PEs of four, dividends of eight, cash on the balance sheet. You know, why? And the answer is because they're in South Africa. Wow. And I don't know how to decide the risk of South Africa. Hmm. I can't evaluate South Africa. So I've got a, a, a gold miner in Brazil called Jaguar Mining. I don't, I don't know how to evaluate that. But, and, and I know that there's a lot of people saying, but it's South Africa. I'm going, it takes four years to get my money back from that investment if they don't take it. It's like buying a junk bond, paying 25%. But if you were if you were um, assessing investments on the basis of um, fraudulent political administrations, you wouldn't be investing anywhere on the planet right now. Well, that's a problem. Um, and I would have said Canada <laughs> until a month ago, um, and and so uh, so I, I am buying some of that shit, but I would say that it's a token gesture. It's like. I probably put in 3% of my net worth into it, right? And it's fortunately for me, it's a lot of money, but not a, a, a big percentage. Mm. And so I get sort of this paradoxical sphincter cramp, you know, non-fear combo. So you can sleep uh, at night. I quite, I quite like that name as a, as a boutique, actually, a, uh, you know, a partnership, uh, sphincter, sphincter cramp. Oh, yeah, yeah we had exactly. a lot of money with them in the day. Then the other guy I'm giving some money to, again, a token gesture is Eric Cinnamon's, uh, Eric Cinnamon's small cap fund. Now, here's what's cool about the small cap fund. Some guys look at it and say, I didn't do that well recently, blah, 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 blah. I go, have you looked at his cash position? It's, uh, here you go, PVCMX, -P Palm Valley. Uh, I'll look at a Palm Valley um, capital fund investor. He's 86% cash. Eric waits till he sees the whites of their eyes. He's a small cap guy. He listens to hundreds of conference calls a year. 
He reads the balance sheets. He reads the statements. And then when he finally sees something he likes, he pulls the trigger. And he's been this this particular fund's only been around since 18. And you can see um, you can see. Hold on, let me pull up. Let me pull up his max chart. You can see that his fund did not move from the start, which was June 10th, 19, until uh, it dropped a little on March 2nd, which when the market dropped. So he must have taken a position of some kind. Then it kind of tanked into March 16th, and then it took off. So he was pulling the trigger during the March dip, 2020 dip. Now he's flat again, and he's back out. Now, when a lot of people think, well, that therefore he's not doing what you want, I go, no, I am paying Eric to know when to not spend any money. He's a, he's a sniper. He's a sniper. He's got the, the branches on his head and he's laying there and he's waiting for an opportunity. And I've had many conversations with Eric over the years. And if I said, I am betting some money on this boy right here. This is it. He's got some private money management shit he does, but he's got this fun. I go, if this guy can sit on 86% cash right now, that's my guy. And he's a small cap guy, right? The kind of stuff no one else likes, no one else bothers with because there's not enough money in it. And his total market cap is probably, you know, 12 million or something. And, uh, and uh, assets, net assets, 79 million. And so I have some money in that. Um, so I do own the platinum miners, as I said. I don't own much platinum. You know, um, real smart guy named Mitch Fierstein. He's, he's in London. He's one of you guys, honorary. I think he's a dual citizen, but he's a New York boy. And he, he and I, he got me to take up golf again. He came to Ithaca and we played golf. He came to Ithaca to make me play golf. Um, and... Uh, and uh, he, he and I have been talking about platinum a lot. And, and right now, we're not doing that well. But platinum's the only precious metal out there that hasn't gone through it, the batshit phase. It's the only one that hasn't. Rhodium's $22,000 an ounce last I looked, which is ridiculous. It used to be like $1,000. And, and, and so... Platinum just is so, and one day someone sent me a, an email. They sent me a YouTube that they had made going through the balance sheets of the platinum miners and talking about their cash flow and shit like that. It's just some YouTube. And it had like 70 clicks. And I watched, I go, holy shit, this is really good. And so I started looking. So I've got the three biggest platinum up miners for the record ANGPY, which is Angle Platinum. Uh, Impala Platinum, IMPUI, and, uh, and uh, Sabanye, which is SBSW. Uh, I think that, that the favorite of the bunch is IMPUI. Of the Platinum Bulls that I know now, uh, that's the favorite. Um, next week, you want to hear fun? I can't name names, but I got invited to dinner in Manhattan to spend dinner with about a dozen guys, the best I can tell are all billionaires. Wow, that should be fun. It'll be a heady time. I know, I know one, and name recognition on a couple is extraordinary. Legends, right? Here's what, uh, 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 
this is like this is like get, getting getting invited. Who's the guy who ran uh, Tiger Management? Um, oh, Julian um, Robert yeah, Robinson. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that level famous. Wow. And 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 a couple that I didn't recognize when I boot them up, I go, oh, I remember when that fund collapsed. <laughs> yeah, things like that. So the the guys are legends. I got invited to go to Miami to dinner, and I by name Jim Pallotta, who and and I I said Jim, I'm not going to be in Miami, and I'm not flying to Miami <laughs> for dinner, and uh, and he has a he goes to Saratoga, which is near me, and I said I bet we can meet up in Saratoga. He's the former owner of the Celtics, and then he he tells he says he says he says yeah, and I'm excited about. It. He says I got a horse this year. I think it's going to win the Kentucky Derby, and I'm, and I'm going. I don't. <laughs> and so I, I've got some fun dinner dates coming. And listening to the billionaires talk is going to be, you know, keeping my mouth shut afterwards is going to be hard. Right. Because I don't think these guys invited me to dinner to spill my guts to the public. Right. Right. So we've got to have you back on afterwards because this is no, too no, good. No, no, I, I can't kiss and tell. Right. <laughs> right. I might be able to give you an overview, like buy machine guns and go to cash. You know, right, right. I might be able to give you that much, but I, I can't give you specifics, right? I didn't get invited to, to, to be a mole. Right. Um, and, but it, uh, have you ever been asked to actually... Like the, what's that? I was just going to ask quickly, have you ever been asked to manage money? Because it's, uh, no, and w I wouldn't want to. Right. You wouldn't want to Here, create the it, column The guy who invited me to dinner is not a billionaire. He's a headhunter who used to be a Goldman guy. And and somehow he left Goldman and he just he started headhunting. He just kind of fell into it. And um, and uh, I was talking to him and I said, you know, OK, now we're chatting and, and he's a wild and crazy guy. He really is kind of he, there's a there's a there's a crazy batch of crazy streak in this boy. And uh, and I said, OK, now I'm talking to you as a headhunter. I said, academia who knows pharma who can talk markets and i'm going i'm your man <laughs> and you can hear his his gears turning you can tell he's going oh that's interesting so there's a headhunter so i've always thought that someday someone's going to call and say dave my hedge fund that manages 250 billion uh we could use your help on some things you interested go, yeah fuck yeah and the pr campaign could be done through the onion.com and uh, national lampoon and the, the B, the B. <laughs> Babylon B, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, oh, God, isn't Babylon B the best? Oh, it's awesome. It is awesome. It's too real. They get fact-checked. They're so real that the fact-checkers debunk them. We've, we've they, segued effortlessly into media picks now, by the way, Paul. <laughs> the, the Babylon B gets fact-checked, and they say, because their satire is... is it's too is near the knuckle. Mas masquerades as truth. Yeah. <laughs> But that's that's Clown World 2022 for you. It is. It's uh, the. By the way, if you guys, anyone out there, believes when you're reading a fact check, you believe they're not lying to you. You are a special kind of stupid. They're just if their lips are moving, if they're typing, they're lying. Well, right? it's like who decides like the that they are the authority? I mean, you've got got a lot well, of Reuters is the Facebook fact checker. So Reuters does the heavy lifting for Facebook. And, and, you know, Facebook's claiming, you know, the numbers problem they had last week. Facebook claims it's because they're, because they're, 
clients are all saying they want more censorship. And that's why they're losing money. I go, you lying bastards. You're doing that because you basically want to put in censorship to get the Chinese market. And so I, if Facebook disappeared today, what would we miss? Hmm. That's a good question. Nothing. If what? Netflix disappeared today, what would we miss? By the way, Hulu and Netflix are identical. Yeah, but if we Netflix- can't get we can't get Hulu yet in the UK, or at least I can't. And if 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 Netflix went, I, I wouldn't be able to watch reruns of Seinfeld. Well, you could <laughs> you could buy it. You could buy buy the DVDs. Yeah, I know, yeah. but uh, it's all part of my Netflix package. Yeah, but and if, I could also uh, and I also where where could I watch second rate second rate films that have been released purely on that medium? With a market cap of about $100 billion. So here's the way I like to describe Netflix. So Netflix can't make money. Now, they made money in 2020 because they were locked down, so their R&D was zero. So that it was all revenue, no expense. But normally, they're a cash-burning Goliath. And so they're going to go back to losing money. Now, if Netflix dropped 99%, they would be a really, really, really cheap company that still loses fucking money. <laughs> wow. How that's, do you, that's, how a that's, that's, one, that's one for the ages. That is a great now, quote. How do, you price, how do you price a company like that? <laughs> well, that, that, that reminds me of my way. single favorite quote in finance, which is from the first dot-com boom, which is, this was on fuckedcompany.com, their bulletin board, which I'm sure Dave remembers. And it was, uh, we've got the perfect, this was, this was written by the uh, Identity Stanford MBA, because everyone was posting on this chat room bulletin board using pseudonyms. And it was, we've got the perfect business model. We're going to lose money on every sale and we'll make up for it in volume. Uh, that's exactly right. Um, and uh, uh, I'm writing something down. Oh, seven, two. What the fuck kind of phone number is that? Um, and so there's so many of these companies, Tesla. Right? There's no way Tesla's not going to end up on a milk carton. There's no chance. Here's the other thing. Here's my other theory. You know those trillions of dollars we pumped into the system? Yeah. I didn't get it. You didn't get it, right? I, I think these big tech companies, they're not getting eyeball money. They're not getting click money. They're, get, they're getting billions and billions from, from CIA, from defense. They're purely, purely... PSYOP defense. I, I reckon that I reckon they're setting up secondary companies with names like JP Mogron and then getting it directly from the Fed. <laughs> um, that's right. That's right. And 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 so then the question is, uh, how would they ever go broke? And the answer is they can't. So, you know, Catherine Austin Fitz says the Pentagon's missing six trillion dollars. Yeah, now, it's, Catherine- it's, it's only money. It's only money, but that's that's that is what's keeping those companies wealthy. I mean, that's only eighty percent of the Fed's balance sheet. So let's let's not sweat it. Well, the other problem is that. Um, so I used to chat with Larry Kotlikoff regularly. It's been a while. I should call him. Um, he's the world's expert on the unfunded liabilities, the off balance sheet expenses of the United States. Some guy today tried to tell me they were one hundred sixty-two trillion, and I said, no, it's more like two hundred thirty-five. And he says, where do you get your numbers from? And I said, Larry Kolikoff, <laughs> this is the guy. This is the man. And uh, that's $2 million per taxpayer. These are, these are liabilities that if you calculate 
reasonable revenue projections in perpetuity, we still don't know how to pay for these. That's $2 million per taxpayer. I am not budgeted for that, for the record. And, and so then the question is, how, how does this end? And there's got to be some sort of big screw you moment where the, you know, the debt jubilee, the reset, the whatever you want to call it, um, somehow there's got to be some moment where we say, sorry, my bad. Or an asteroid made of pure platinum could crash into New York or Washington, D.C. Well, either I'll be in bad shape because I own platinum companies, or I'll be in great shape because they'll be right there mining the shit. Um, yeah, and then, you know, <laughs> fucking Elon. One of the reasons I think Elon's totally defense-connected is because the shit he does without getting in trouble. The guy should be in prison for all the stuff he does with the, you know, securities fraud. And he, he's not. He's He's fearless. And he says shit, you know, like when he said, you know, he had an outside offer for four Fund, funding secured. Funding secured, right? He should have gone to prison. He should have lost bigly there. He, he didn't. Prison's prison's such a 20th century concept, Dave. It, well, so I was on a Zoom call with a bunch of doctors who were convinced because I'm vaccinated, which appalls people. They go, but Dave, you're an anti-vaxxer. I go, yeah, but, but I can hate the vaccine because I had to get it, you know. That's a valid argument for hating the vaccine. Um, and and they're all convinced I'm going to die. And and I, I can't refute the case, by the way. For those of you who are listening, um, I did serious deep diving for two straight years on this vaccine. And it is killing people and it is hurting people. The numbers are unclear and the long-term effects are stunningly unclear. So I might die. I got a migraine yesterday. For all I know, that's the vaccine. Who knows? But there's there's also good and bad batches, presumably. Yeah, that's what they say, and you never know whether to believe it, because you and I know that if there's 10,000 batches, there will be some that are really bad, right? <laughs> Statistically, there'll be something off the end of the bell curve. And so I, I just don't know what to make of those assertions. But, um, But, for example, I know someone who got who felt like crap at Thanksgiving, got diagnosed with cancer by the end of December, and is basically said to have weeks to live. Mm. When, when did you go from, what cancers, maybe this is common and I just haven't faced cancer yet, but do you go from asymptomatic to dead in two months? I'm unaware of that kind of cancer. I mean, I, I, neither am I, but I'm, I, I'm guessing it's possible. I mean, it I, is. I could only assume it's something like very, very late stage pancreatic cancer or something along those lines. Right. This, it's all over his body. Yeah. So this is not, it took out one vital organ. This mm. is all over his body. And, and I had a student die from pancreatic cancer. And it took years. And he was jaundiced for, you know, they were battling it the whole way. So this, he was symptomatic, and, and I have another colleague who died from pancreatic cancer. And again, it's a brawl before you give it up. Mm. Not two months. If there's anyone out there listening, send me an email and tell me what the what the, the sort of, what cancers take you out in two months. And so I think it's the, the lurking giants out there in this vaccine story are prion diseases, which could show up ten years from now, which we could all be 
you know, staggering around like we have Huntington's disease or something like that. Um, sterile women. You know how long it takes the vaccine to get to the ovaries? By the way, it collects in the ovaries more than any other body part. It goes straight to the ovaries, like 9% of the vaccine goes to the ovaries in 20 minutes. You really want to be taking your teenage daughters and jamming mRNA into their ovaries, a cytotoxic lipid nanoparticle into their ovaries? I don't think so. It was so prone to go to the ovaries that supposedly when they first discovered that, they said, well, we can use this as a way to target ovarian cancer. Right? <laughs> Which makes sense. If you got something that'll collect in one organ, what a great chemo tool that would be. And... Um, and then, um, and then there's this, this, these rumors of really super aggressive cancers that are showing up in big numbers. And you saw the insurance companies are coming out saying we've got a big fatality rate that's not over, that's not COVID. You seen those? No. When, when, oh, where was that? Well, it started with America One, but it's coming out from other companies. America One said, the CEO said. We have a 40% spike in fatalities this year between age 18 and 65. That's not a COVID group. That group survives COVID. It says 40% spike. He said 10% spike would be a, a three standard deviation, one in 200 years event. We're talking 40. And he said, and it's not COVID. But I think you'll find that the timing of this is consistent with a, a slight lag after the vaccination rollout. Well, so uh, so I, I don't know. And this is where it gets interesting. Here's what's also been, He didn't tell us what it was. You know the insurance companies know what it is. It's their job to know why these people are dying. And they did not tell us. Well, no one else is telling the truth in this mess. Right. And this is why I don't think they can replay the vaccine card. So here's, here's my prediction. Oh, you, you've got, what's the next crisis? Well, they're going to fuck with climate change, which I think is a, Largely a ruse. Um, there might be a little truth in there, but not much. Um, and I think they're setting us up. I think you can see them teeing it up <clears throat> for a climate crisis, a big one. Freeze our butts off climate crisis. Not climate crisis, energy crisis. Well, they're one, in the has, they're one in the same thing when you make energy so expensive that no one can, can afford to use it. And, and when you like you're in Australia and you take down all your coal fire power plants and you put in alternatives instead. And now your grid goes unstable and things like that. Mm. And when you when Germany dis, disassembles its nuclear plants and when Biden shuts down pipelines and it's it, I noticed, boy, a lot of things seem to be obstructing energy. So here's what would be the motive. My theory. Here's the theory. My theory is that the Davos men can actually see a problem that they don't want to fess up to. And the problem is that we are going to run out of key resources. Mm. As a peak oil guy, I still believe it's an issue. We've put it off, we fracked, we dig deep into the ocean, but oil is going to be an issue. And I think the Davos guys, the theory is they're looking down going, China, India, U.S., holy shit, there is just not enough of these elements, of this fuel, of this everything, we are burning hot. But if you murder enough of the electorate, then the problem solves itself. Well, the other thing you do is you don't come out and say, by the way, we're going to run out because we'd be in this war by noon. 
you come out, you come up with a narrative that says, oh, 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 you have to save the planet. You have to consume less meat. You have to consume less oil to save the planet. That's that's the narrative. But who, who's worried about the poor locusts? Oh, I don't know. The Locust Foundation. Yeah. Um, and then and then what are they going to do? Well, let's say they know they got to go to nukes. And they know that nukes are a tough sell, right? Less Not so in my these backyard. days. Less so Less these so. days. But the best way to get to nukes fast would be to have people beg for them. Yeah. Like, oh, just give me the vaccine and the nuke. Or reduce the number of uh, people tainted by links to the Communist right. Party in Western administrations. Well, that's the Gates euthanasia eugenics argument. Call the herd. Gates has been a eugenicist, best I can tell, since his father. His father was a eugenicist. And um, eugenics was considered a credible idea. And, yeah, and that, that, Hitler, that, Hitler, that Hitler guy gave it a bad, bad rep. That's, it didn't help. It did not help. That was, that was definitely a blemish. Um, and, uh, but before Hitler, there were a lot of guys talking about how we got to call the herd. You know, there's just, there's just people who are just not worthy. And they didn't quite say it that way, but it was pretty close. Gates, in his TED Talks, for example, talks about in the same sentence how a common, how vaccines, with the help of vaccines, we can achieve a reduction in population. I'm going, dude, if vaccines save lives, I don't quite understand that connection unless you know something we don't know. And the answer is he does. Mm. So I, I think that we're going to have an energy crisis is going to usher in the nuclear age once and for all, no guff. I think... You know, they say I'm supposed to eat bugs and shit. Not going to happen. But if I have to eat bugs, I'm going to take, you know, 20 Tylenol, head to the light. I'm a depreciated asset anyways. You're valued by us, though, Dave. So don't don't walk I, I, towards the light. Well, I'm not going to do it until it sucks. But um, but yeah, I, I, I've always had this sort of life has got to be up to some minimum standard or ain't worth it. I, I have no intention of fighting it to the very bitter end. So it's just, you know, I want to be comfortable. It's too good. Too good when it's comfortable, too sucky when it's not. It's not like I need to breed or anything. I'm done breeding. So final, I, final round of media picks. What do you mean media pick? So let's have a, 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 a recommendation of a book, a film, a podcast, any, anything you've seen, heard recently that you've either liked. It doesn't have to be recent. Well, Robert Kennedy's, let's do a couple of books rapid fire. Robert Kennedy's, the, 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 the real Anthony Fauci, uh, The Devil's Chessboard, um, Peter Schweitzer's book's okay, Skip Scott Atlas's book, um, um, the media, you know, how do you not like Zero Hedge, even though they're officially now Russian trolls. Um, uh, uh, Media. I was on Newsmax the other day. That was fun. Um, uh, Tucker Carlson. I used to hate him. I hated Tucker Carlson. Now I adore him. I flipped when he finally got his voice. Uh, who do I like? You know, Twitter. I'm a Twitter junkie. There's smart guys there and the dumb ones you can ignore. And so, um, that's how great. about you? That's great. 
Tim, you? what's Hi. yours? Uh, well, Dave's, Dave's given a very generous, uh, generous around. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to limit minded too. The first is uh, Sneakers, a 1992 film that I saw recently, which is one of my favorite films. It's a very family film about the way the world really works. Spy film, but a very family friendly film. It's got a cast to die for. Robert Redford, Dan Aykroyd, Ben Kingsley, Mary McDonald, River Phoenix, Sidney Poitier, David Strathairn. Um, and that's all about uh, international espionage. And oh, I, I suspect it's a, a vastly underrated and overlooked film. And I don't know why, but, you know, you know these Mary McDonald went to Ithaca High School. She was and a I, hometown. And if I remember correctly, she was also in Donnie Darker, which I was watching uh, two days ago, which is also a cracker. And the other one, in homage to uh, P.J. O'Rourke, who just sadly died, one of the great American satirists, I'm just going to give you the opening paragraph from the best titled essay you'll find, which is how to drive fast on drugs while getting your wing-wang squeezed and not spill your drink. <laughs> That's a, what is, is that a book, a short story? It's a, or it's, a, it's, or? it's a short essay. Uh, so to repeat that, how to drive fast on drugs while getting your wing-wang squeezed and not spill your drink. And I'll just give you the first paragraph. When it comes to taking chances, some people like to play poker or shoot dice. Other people prefer to parachute jump, go rhino hunting or climb ice flows, while still others engage in crime or marriage. But I'd like to get drunk and drive like a fool. Name me, if you can, a better feeling than the one you get when you're half a bottle of Shivas in the bag with a gram of coke up your nose and a te teenage lovely pulling off a tube top in the next seat over while you're going 100 miles an hour down a suburban side street. <laughs> You'd have to watch the entire Mexican Air Force crash land in a liquid petroleum gas storage facility to match this kind of thrill. If you ever have much more fun than that, you'll die of pure sensory overload, I'm here to tell you. So let me ask you this. Were you at the same meeting? Were we at a meeting together? We weren't a meeting together, but were we at the meeting together where P.J. O'Rourke was at the meeting? We were. This was Stansbury's conference in Vegas about five years ago, five, six years ago. Okay, so Danielle and I got to go out to dinner with P.J. Were you at that dinner? No, I wasn't invited. I was, I was, I was persona non grata, tragically. Oh. I uh, might actually be flying back because I left quite early that, uh, that one. Yeah, so he was pretty funny at dinner, and I, I spent the whole lunch with him that day, and he was entertaining to talk to. It turns out he knew my sister-in-law. We, we had a common overlap that was unexpected, but he was funny. He was shit-faced. He was seriously shit-faced. I would have been disappointed with anything else, frankly. Yeah, and I, I, I have to say that I figured Danielle probably had to sort of keep his hands off or under the table she's probably, <laughs> playing, she's probably playing defense the whole way and uh and uh and i got some great photos which are you know, sort of almost blackmail level where he's trying to we, reach we, we may it. make those available to our listeners for a fee <laughs> yeah right she'd kill me you know no amount of money would get me off the hook if i uh there's also a picture that danielle we were at a meeting this this year in new orleans which you should try to get to it's fun there's a great aspect to it, too, better than Stansbury, in my opinion, um, the New Orleans Investment Conference. And uh, and we went out to dinner. There's a picture of Danielle and I standing there together going out to dinner, and she is dressed to die for. I mean, just it is just holy shit moment looking at her. I'm thinking, I can't show this picture to my wife. She will kill me. And, and the, nothing happened, but it's just it's just so like, holy crap, just being that close to her in that dress is, is some sort of perverted event. 
There's a wonderful God. line. There's a wonderful line from the the great film Master and Commander, where the the, the captain says, uh, "He makes a toast to, to wives and sweethearts. May they never meet." <laughs> well, I I have been faithful my whole life, and I do not want to get killed on an unfair conviction. And so, uh, but but it was a great dinner. I was with Danielle and George Gammon. Do you know George Gammon? Yeah, yeah. And um, Adrian Day, who sponsored the thing, and. Uh, and Jimmy Iorio, who if you don't know on Twitter, you got to get to know Jimmy on Twitter. He's a crazy fuck. And, um, and uh, it was a great dinner. And she was telling us the details about how Lyle Brainerd threw the other Fed governors under the bus for day trading. She had just gotten off the phone with Richard Fisher, who was telling her what the fuck happened. And she's at dinner. She's telling us this. And she says, so Brainerd throws the other day traders under the bus to get them out of the way so she can become the head of the Federal Reserve. And then the FT comes after her and says, well, you sign their conflict of interest forms. And so she throws Powell under the bus. <laughs> uh, Paul, I think we're going to need to do a part two of this podcast quite soon. <laughs> we've, only the, we've only scratched the surface. <laughs> That's right. That's right. There, there's so much dirt out there. There's so much dirt out there. This is the good. See, this is what I like, right? But I like this kind of crap is a blast. I don't like writing about authoritarianism. Um, Paul, Paul, over to you. Yeah, no, brilliant. Brilliant stuff. Um, well, mine is a, a book that's been out for a long time. But like a good film, when you read it again, you see more in it. And it's um, my, um, Malcolm Gladwell's The Tipping Point. And oh, I love The Tipping Point. It's just a brilliant book. Absolutely brilliant. And given the, the inverted commas pandemic... It, it again it's just like there's there's new information there really interesting information and it, it's just fascinating so i really enjoyed it the first time round and the second time round it was just even better so actually i listened to it on an audiobook which yeah i'm, a, I'm an audiophile completely yeah and and he read it which is great and then he you know added some extra material at the end um which was which is great. So, you know, I highly recommend it. And it's actually not a very long book or, or yeah, you know, yeah. listen, it's only a few hours in audiobook. So terms. he has a new one out. He has one called Talking to Strangers. Yeah, I've not got to that yet. Have you, have you read it? It's entertaining. Okay. Yeah, it's entertaining. He, he keeps, he talks about how easily we get faked out. It's okay. really pretty good. It's kind of psychological, how we get duped and how we tend to believe people. The other one that you trigger me thinking, Brett Weinstein's book is very good. It's the Hunter Gatherer's Guide to Something or Brett Weinstein. Yeah, yeah, the 21st it's a century. Biological view of modern humans. I'm I've bought it and I haven't read it yet, it, but it's I, great. I loved it. Which is such a comfortable read. It's sort of like coddling the American mind. It's better than Sapiens. Which oh I really? Didn't actually, like that one. I didn't like Sapiens. Oh I'll man. Tell you why. Really? Well, wash your mouth out with soap and water, Dave. I didn't think it was sticky. I enjoyed listening, but when I got done, I didn't know what it said. Well, there was so much in it. It was like it was. That's it could, the problem. It could have been like four books broken up. That's the problem. So I listened to a book called Behave, which is also about uh, about uh, um, evolutionary biology and uh, about uh, nature versus nurture, which I love. Again, I was a bio major, genetics major. But he tried to do too much, and so there's no stickiness to it. Mm. So Weinstein's book has this nice, comfortable stickiness. There's a plot, there's a narrative. Have you heard of Chesterton's Fence? This, this is one of these things that will stick with me the rest of my life. 
Chesterton's Fence is this, this novel or something. And it's about a guy who's going to tear down a fence. And his friend says, do you know why they put the fence up? And the guy says, no. And he says, well, you better answer that question before you tear it down. <laughs> right. And, and it's such a great metaphor because it's saying, look, if this thing's been around for a long time, don't just think it's serving no fucking purpose. He goes through examples like the appendix. We're just starting to learn what the appendix actually does. And we're starting to learn. And he goes through a lot of this stuff. So it's a, a lot of stuff about, about understanding humans through the lens of an evolutionary biologist. So I loved his book and I love Brett. Yeah, they're, they're brilliant. He's such a sweetheart. Him and his wife, fantastic. Yeah, and they both read it in the audio. Yeah. I like him better, but that just could be gender bias. Who knows? Um, I'm trying to think what else I, I did. But uh, yeah, that was the, the Weinstein's book is great. And Devil's Chessboard is horrifyingly great. I was hoping it sucked. So it's about Alan Dulles and all this evil shit. It ends up with the Kennedy assassination. You go, oh, I don't want to go there. Well, if Dulles killed him, you got to go there, right? And I'm thinking, oh, God, this is so goddamn deep and dark. Maybe maybe, maybe it's bullshit. I'm hoping, hoping, hoping. And then one day, Glenn Greenwald's being interviewed. And, and Greenwald knows this world. And someone mentions the devil's chessboard. And he goes, oh, brilliant book. And I go, oh, fuck. <laughs> so, so devil's chessboard, you got to read Fantastic. Oh, well, we've got plenty to keep us going, Dave. And uh, yeah. ju just once again, you've been so generous with your time. It's always so much fun. Fantastic to have you on the show. And we're always learning something as well. So thank you for, um, thank so you for coming on. let's meet up in another meeting. And by the way, you guys have a standing offer to come to my deck and cook burgers if you're ever in the United States. I've had unbelievably famous people. Einhorn and Tony Deaton and all Doug Noland and all these guys. So, so, so the standing offer has been taken by some prominent guys. Got to get pulled out of there. Um, but I, I've had people visit my house who I don't know who they are at all, at all. And and they say they're coming. I go, sure, I'll cook up some steaks. And I I somehow have to convince my wife that it's okay that we're having dinner with a couple of guys I met on the internet who I don't know who they are. Right. And 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 they it's been great. People like Kate Long came one day and I it just it's just I people just accept my offer and they come. So if you're ever in the area, please, 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 you know, tell me you're coming, give me some warning, and we'll sit on my deck and look at the sunset and talk about shit. I spent you know you know T Tony Deaden, right? You must know. Yeah, Tony yeah, Deaton. Edelweiss. So so I, I it's my understanding I was the one who got Deaden to do the Grant Williams interview. Mm. Oh, really? I thought that was the real vision one. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Wow. No, the first one. The first one. So I told Tony should do it, and Tony's we're talking about it. And so I made the connection, and then Grant does the two-part interview, and he says Tony's never done an interview before, and I go, what? What? And then one day Grant's being interviewed, and they said, Grant, how did you vote Tony Deaton? And he says, Colum got him for me. I go, fuck, really? And so Tony one time invites me to go to Edelweiss, go to their annual meeting. And I'm not going to Switzerland to an annual meeting, right? Although I'd love to, but it's just such a pain in the ass. And so he said, well, then I'm going to come visit you. And amazingly, he does. And we spent 12 hours sitting on my deck just talking about the meaning of life. What an amazing experience. In New Orleans, I got to sit on and chat with James Grant. Holy shit, you could pay big bucks and not get to do that. 
So if he can get to the New Orleans meeting, that would be great. I'm going back next year, if they'll have me. And since I made, in a single slide, a Greta Thunberg vaginal itch joke, I think they'll invite me back. <laughs> Brilliant. Dave, top, beat beat you know, that. Follow that, Paul. Would Dave look? Take, <laughs> yeah, I can't obviously. And just to say thank you for the offer. I mean, that's I'm just really touched. That's amazing. I'd love to come and, and you know eat some eat some burgers and and you know watch the sun go down and just chat like this because it's so much fun. Being touched is a non sequitur after a Greater Thunberg vaginal itch joke, but we'll let that slide. Well, thank I, you. I, I I've been said to be touched too. Um, <laughs> I think we, I think we've all touched each other today. Right. Yeah, this is great. Send me a send me the link. I'll put it up on Twitter. See if I can knock a band. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Okay. Thanks for your time. Take care. Great. This is so much fun. Thanks, Thank Dave. Thanks, Dave. Take care. Ah. Thanks, everybody, and we will catch you next time. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor. <laughs>